Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And now we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. To those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow chundering unicorns. Welcome once again to Beer Sec Ops. I'm your host, Steve Jaguer, and on this episode, we have an awesome guest. It is Michael Hausenblas. Michael, you would probably know him from his Kubernetes cookbook, the Kubernetes security book he co-wrote with my previous guest, Liz Rice, programming Kubernetes and a series of other contributions he has across the cloud native space. In this episode, we're talking mostly about software supply chain management. And as he very aptly puts it, it's kind of not on people's radar. So it's a really good episode to get in and get your feet wet in terms of where do I start? What do I need to do? And how seriously should I be taking this? We do touch on GitOps as a method for applying software security management, but I'll let Michael tell you a little bit more about that. So here we go. Michael Hausenblas. Michael, thank you for being on Beer SecOps. I appreciate you taking the time. And can I just start by asking, now that we're all kind of in the isolation phase of this sort of global situation, are you more busy or less busy? Or is it kind of the same? Well... Thanks for having me, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> well, actually, turns out um, I'm, I don't know if I should say I'm more busy or I'm working more. I don't know. But I feel like, like when I read people saying like, oh, I'm so bored and I don't know what to do with my time. I like, I feel like I'm working many, many more hours, maybe because I'm not on travel that much. Usually, you know, I'm on travel usually 60 to 70 percent of my time and because that goes away. A lot of this dead time where, you know, you, you wait to get through security, whatever, where you can't work, that just goes away. And I have more time at my hands, which I'm, I'm using. So it, it, it actually, it feels like, you know, busy, what is busy? It's an indicator you you can do idle work or whatever. But I, I feel like I actually work more. I get more done, more output, if that makes sense. Yeah. Are you, so are you initiating new projects in order to keep yourself um, occupied or did you have a whole ton of things on the back burner that you're finally getting to tackle and if so anything exciting that would be interesting to listeners right right i i would say both right i, I can uh, say yes to more things um and you know essentially commit to more could be any kind of like material in the sense of like a blog post or a demo or whatever. Um, but also, you know, doing more, whereas, you know, usually I would maybe get one or two, like, you know, a CLI tool or whatever per month done more. This last couple of weeks, it has been more like, you know, one or two tools a week or, you know, a demo and a tool a week or whatever. So I, I get to do more things, more, more actual output. It's yeah. Well, I I can I kind of relate because I find I thought at the beginning when this sort of kicked off, I offered to help Liz Rice with some of her open source uh, work, thinking I would have loads of extra time, and it's been the complete opposite. I have been finding myself just getting involved in. Actually, a lot more people are available to do podcasts for one, uh, and I'm I, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I've been keeping really busy and I've been building this epic demo environment that has been 
obsessing me. But yeah, it's very similar. So right. that's it's cool. <laughs> so thanks for being on here. I'm skipping to the end when I first asked you about is there any particular topics that you want to get into? You specified uh, two, which is roughly, and if hopefully I'm not, I'm not forgetting properly, supply mm-hmm. chain management and get ops. Yep. And yep. I'd love to get into those uh, and whether and how you see them relating. But also, uh, do you mind if I just kind of rattle through a little bit of your past and present? And and if, by the way, if anybody wants to know more about you, I, my, some of my own work is I listened to some, some of your previous podcasts. And I just Google your name, which or, or DuckDuckGo your name, sorry, to be more appropriate. Uh, and I look at what I find. And you, is, what's great is... If people want to know about you, they can go to mhausenblast.info and you've got an awesome page there with some of your, almost everything you'd want to know about you, which is cool. Um, Your LinkedIn. But what I thoroughly thought was hilarious is that, you know, there's another Michael Hausenblast? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, which is funny. Uh, Yes. A a German millionaire who I think made his money through... Uh, selling vacuum cleaners, I believe, and and now writing books about that and giving seminars he, on that topic, I believe. That is who he is. He has a video mm-hmm. called "Really Filthy with Vacuum Cleaners," yeah. Ruff, roughly yeah. translated I'm, I'm English. Definitely in the wrong line of business. I, I figured that out, <laughs> but I'd, I'd rather you know do software and not being a millionaire than other. That's fine. Yes, it's good you've chosen <laughs> software over millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I'm the other in my class. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so not to be confused for listeners who are not probably confused, yeah. tuning out now because they realize this isn't about yeah, uh, being about a millionaire. Confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. But you've, um, so you're currently in a position called developer advocate at mm-hmm. Amazon. You've been in that mm-hmm. similar type of role before at other yeah. um large-scale enterprise companies that we've all heard of. And I would think I look at you more as the cloud-native, in your position as a cloud-native, what is your position with uh, cloud-native computing foundation? Let's let's start there. Right, right. So I started out actually pretty much with with, when Kubernetes was like presented to the world the first time in, in July 2015, I believe it was in Portland, the, the 1.0 launch party, where, you know, Kubernetes was the first time like a big event presented to the world. And, and a couple of months later, I believe it was already when CNCF was founded to, you know, find a home for Kubernetes. And, and I pretty much early on, I worked at Messersphere back then, and, and Messersphere got engaged, uh, being, a, you know, not number one uh, part of, of CNCF. And I got engaged there and in 2018, I believe, or so, or 17, I can't remember. I became a CNCF ambassador. I'm um, running Cloud Native. Back then, it was called Cloud Native Kubernetes. Um, and then we changed it to Cloud Native, um, sorry, Kubernetes Ireland. And then we changed it to Cloud Native Ireland to be more inclusive. It's not just about Kubernetes, but all, all kinds of CNCF projects are working. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, used to be part of, of various uh, special interest groups and communities. And in the recent year or two, I focused on two uh, outside of communities, and that is security and now recently SIG observability. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about the um, special interest group, uh, the SIG security? Mm-hmm. Uh, SIG security, I think it's, it's a very, it has this kind of like, a foundational character in, in like services 
to all projects, right? Because every project obviously has a security uh, angle, or, or you know, the question is how secure is it, or can how can we make it secure, or can we use it in a secure way? Um, so you know, a lot of of um, you know anything from pen testing to uh, recommendations to you know this and that project wants to be part of um, of, of CNCF, can we assess it or whatever? Good practices and I intentionally say good best practices because I strongly believe that you know we we as cloud native and software uh, industry are still very very early days so there are no best practices but certainly good practices um, establishing those and, and providing guidance around that documenting these things and and uh, yeah helping helping to make the whole stack the whole CNCF um, stack more robust and more reliable and, and secure Excellent, excellent. I like what you just said about how it's early days. Uh, there mm. are no necessarily best practices, but only good mm. practices, and that is a a hurdle that I guess I work with a lot of uh, people who are moving who you know aren't necessarily as switched on as yourself to get involved with Kubernetes and cloud native for you know the past five years, but are moving still for the first time into this space, mm. and their first reaction is to reach out to people who are have expertise in this era and ask please tell me your best practice mm -hmm. and you have to give them the sort of heartbreaking response that that may not be possible right <laughs> so uh so let's switch back to uh your subject matter uh supply chain management was there a particular angle you wanted to take going into that or did you want to talk about software development as a whole or how do you want how, how do we want to start talking about that because i've got a, loads of questions here but i don't want right to right so the, the motivation the original reason why i suggested that was that i did a um small scope so i only got 68 respondents but it was entirely my fault uh, end of last year uh, security you know aws security container security related survey um and found that supply chain management um maybe not so surprisingly but nevertheless was really relatively undervalued or or like the uptake was like this or like, i don't know can't remember but it, it was like a few percentage right like very very few people actually looking at stuff and then the you know the number one thing that was mentioned was cncf uh, in total um very few i think one or two said they would be looking at or, or using graphics and that was pretty much it and I, I was wondering you know like why is that the case why are not more people onto supply chain management and for you know the the listeners who are not familiar with supply the, the the basic idea of supply chain management essentially the same that when you go to you know your butcher or whatever supermarket and buy a, a piece of, of meat or minced meat or whatever and you you get to understand where does that come from right you could literally or virtually walk up to the farmer and say i want to see the cow where this comes from right and, and you should be able to do that right you think you know where that comes from right in the same way the supply chain in this you know um, cloud native setup where you can uh, say you know here there's a pod running in this container where does that come from well it was this developer at this point in time who created that container image that this container is based off of um, and then pushed it to that registry right and this surprises me that there is still not you know after a couple of years now that there is not more up uptake and I, I was wondering why is that the case i'm trying to figure out i'm trying to establish data points around that makes sense yeah it does completely make sense i mean it, it feels to me like there are people who 
Some people consider supply chain management, or I think of it in my in one of my old roles or worlds, um, as more to do with application security. So they're looking at mm. the supply chain surrounding their dependencies that are going into the mm -hmm. application they're developing, and not necessarily about the image itself at, at this point. Right. Right. And there are tools out there that that help you with that, but in terms of managing the supply chain of an image throughout its life cycle there's well what's available now for to help people with that you've already mentioned a few right right so to me it's it's more like like yes you know you can point to certain pieces of software like for example in Toto, i'm i'm a huge believer and fan of of uh, the open policy agent of opa and uh, you know there are wonderful use cases um, with OPA, with, with the, the Rego uh, rule set that you can use where you can, you know, anything from compliance over, uh, you know, supply chain management, for example, where you can actually um, automate processes and say, if, you know, it hasn't been signed off by this developer, then you simply, you know, don't, don't allow to push it into the, the prod registry or don't, you know, it might be fine to have it in the, in the registry, but do not allow a deployment based on that in Kubernetes or whatever. So I'm, it, it's not about, you know, everyone go out and use Intoto. I mean, do have a look at it, but, you know, or everyone go out and use OPA. Again, I encourage everyone to look at it, but it's not about the tooling. It's about the mindset, right? It's like, why is this supply chain management not higher up in in the on, on the radar of people, right? But why is it not something where, uh, you know, if, if for example the respondents would have said, well, you know, the current tooling is is not sufficient, right? We are doing our own thing, right? If forty percent would have come back and said, yeah, sure, we are doing supply chain management, but we're we're building our own solutions, that's something else. But the overall <laughs> respondents saying essentially only a few percent actually, you know, bothering about that. That's something that I, I don't I, I don't get and I'd like to understand why this is the case. Right? Okay. Maybe Are you said is, is true. Well, I think there's a certain maturity that comes uh, with with new mm -hmm. technologies and the drivers surrounding the development of applications and real software outside of the open source um, the open source world generally is unfortunately driven by business, um, yeah. the business more than it is by anything else. And those right. those drivers can be a distraction from what feels like obvious uh, right. security measures to us. Right. And and uh, I mean, as I said, maybe um, like having low hanging fruits, having easy wins, quote unquote, is is something you know really really great to to motivate people. But as I said, to me, it's not about the, the actual tooling, although, as I said, I believe we do already have a, a few good examples there. Uh, but it's really about this this general understanding, yes, investing in supply chain um, is actually a good thing and it, it does pay off. That's my belief. So, are there, so is there relevant, I guess we could say, user stories or um, threats? I don't know. That sounds like I'm selling fear now, but um, that are in the industry surrounding um, the lack of concern with supply chain management that would resonate with people who are listening here that would think, okay, right. maybe I really do need to pay more attention to this. Right. Um, I, I uh, yeah, we we all like in, in these times where you know we already, I think, from a psychological uh, point of view, rather challenged in terms of you know thread and and whatnot. Let's maybe. 
uh, rephrase the whole thing in terms of motivation, right? And, and motivation right. can be something, um, it might sound silly, but the motivation not to pay a fine, right? That, that's also like you can phrase it differently, but it's also motivation, right? Uh, and, yep. and, you know, if you look at, at uh, certain, um, industries like financial, um, services and so on, there are, uh, at least in Europe, we, we have, uh, I think also, true in the US, but I'm, I'm more familiar with the, the European situation, uh, a lot of um, very, very strong, uh, you know, requirements and frameworks that if you if you violate them, you you pay hefty fines, right? That's the bottom line. And so the motivation there of, of financial services, banks, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, is to avoid paying that fine, which is or these fines, which is <laughs> make sense, right? That's, that's a very clear motivation, right? Um, so looking at that saying that, you know, what is the p potential upside? I, you know, invest X into whatever, let's say supply chain management or whatever, uh, versus I then have a certain likelihood, a guarantee that I'm not paying that fine or end up, you know, facing that, that challenge, uh, makes sense, right? That purely from, from a defensive point of view, uh, not even talking about, you know, bad actors or, or hackers or whatever who you know, might want to break in and, and uh, you know, get my, my user data, but purely from this, you know, I, what happens in the worst case, what would I need to pay? And um, so this is something where you can, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm giving that example is that is something where you can, what business is like, right? Uh, business owner, business budgets, budget holders, et cetera, they like to put a euro or a dollar or whatever uh, sign on it, on anything. And that is something that you can easily argue. It's like, in the worst case, what, do you, what would be the fine that you need to pay? Uh, that is a certain amount. Uh, and you know, what is the investment that is necessary? And then you compare that and see, you know, yes, it makes sense. Or, you know, no, it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to pay the fine because it's not, not that bad or compared to what I need to invest that the, the ratio is not not okay or, or it's not sufficient but that makes sense what you were in a way summarizing was the GDPR uh, motivation right that and trans translating the requirement for supply chain management into more of a financial motivation that a business really understands right. um, and uh, then um, th for for those listening, this is the second part where Michael was rudely cut off by technology. And I don't know if you rambled for another minute beyond that moment where you, you <laughs> about other motivations that, that can get people and organizations to understand the, uh, the, the importance of supply chain management and, and using, using the tooling that we have available now, like in total, as you've mentioned. As I said, I, I think, you know, the, the financial motivation beat, you know, avoiding fines that could be in the context of GDPR or in general, you know, the, the public image uh, doesn't matter. Uh, but but having a concrete, you know, uh, financial tag or, or label, it makes it definitely easier for business owners, for business budget holders, whatever, to, um, you know, see that supply chain management has a, a concrete uh, motivational uh yeah, it has an influence on, on how, to, how to, to do business. Yeah, yeah. well, then I think, uh, let me play devil's advocate, uh, pardon me, advocate from the uh, business perspective, mm -hmm. because security, any level of security tooling generally has a motivation around finance. Well, you would hope so anyway. Mm -hmm. And then that generally stacks up a series of things that people would be considering from the SOC perspective, like, do I start with 
um, scanning my application? Do I start with pen, well, penetration testing preps being the more traditional uh, starting point? Um, but people are thinking far more shift left in, in that aspect now. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a, a large raft of security tooling and methodologies that, and, or even culture change that they might need to apply to understand where supply chain management fits um, is supply chain management more of a, a giant duvet that lays over top of all of it that we really need to consider in, in addition to the the more point solutions that we're trying to apply to our, our software development lifecycle. Right, right, right. And, and to be clear, I mean, I, as much as I, I love game theory and, and all these aspects, uh, at the end of the day, it's really this kind of like purely pragmatic risk-based assessment, right? Like if there is something that uh, I know there is a certain risk that you know might happen, and you know I'm, I'm not uh, talking about these these you know really big, not so expected events like what we're going through currently with with the coronavirus, but really like you know there are certain things that with a ver- certain likelihood can just happen to to businesses or, or whatever, and you either say well you know I, I'm going to take that risk or I'm going to prepare for it, and preparing means that I'm investing into certain parts and. Part of it is, you know, in the, in the cloud native setup, I know I have a pretty clearly understood uh, supply chain, you know, developer building certain artifacts and that lands in a registry. And then, you know, there's a play out phase, there's the deployment phase where that gets deployed, et cetera. So it's, it's like the, the parts are relatively well understood, right? The, the, the chain itself is well understood. And then I can more or less decide, do I want to invest in certain areas, like, for example, like image signing, right? Is that something that um, the effort that I need to put in there that actually already pays off or not versus, uh, you know, scanning the basic, uh, you know, scanning of a OS level uh, image, uh, you know, is, is that, that that to me is, is like very much uh, table stakes, right? This is something that I'm not like, should I be doing it or not? It's just Beyond that, will I also, you know, scan application level dependencies, et cetera, or, or runtime or, or not, right? So to me, that is more like, you know, they're identifying what is already table stakes in, in this setup and at least doing that. Uh, and beyond that, you know, making this kind of like risk, you know, and, and analysis and, and, and assessing how much more do I want to invest and, and get out of it, right? The, the return of investment. Yeah, I like the analogy you used with the with the butcher um, or any kind of food, mm-hmm. for example, because there is an inherent risk associated. Mm-hmm. But even uh, I mean, amplified at the moment right. with knowing that who's touched your food yeah. at every stage of the, and and when and what are the dates associated with that. Yeah. So if anything can get compromised along the way, yes, there is obvious risk. Yes, that's really that's really good. I'm a big fan of. Um, Patagonia, Patagonia in terms of clothing, uh, they, they actually published their full supply chain, right. which I really like. Right. So where does GitOps fit in? GitOps? Or does it? Uh, yeah, to me it does. <laughs> um, and, and one can, I remember a recent discussion on, on, on Twitter where it was, you know, a certain folks pointed out, like, you know, is that a, a thing? And then, you know, does it really get you that much and i i personally i'm a believer and then the reason being that simply i've seen it worked in, in many many uh, different setups and you know, verticals and big and small customers um users who are very very successful with that um it does take a certain mind share though 
it, it, it is scary. I, I, I get that, right? It's not something where you just, you know, you go ahead and apply it and you're good. It does require, and it's again, it boils down to this, you know, in, in reality, 80% of the, the challenges that we are facing are, are not tooling related, right? Tooling is the simple part. It's the easy part, right? It's like, pick up, do I pick Flux over, over Argo CD or the other way around? Like that's, that's not the, the question. The question is really, um, if your organization, are you, as, as someone, you know, who owns a certain product or service offering, whatever, to, towards your internal customers or external, uh, are you in that position? Do you allow that? Are you trusting your people, your processes, your other, you know, dependencies internal or whatever that, that this will work out? That's the, the big question. I mean, not, not, you know, does Flux have, you know, sufficient features or, or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's, that's to me the, the, the real challenge. And if the trust is not there, right? So if, if people go like, oh, you know, with GitOps, does that actually mean that automatically everything gets, you know, merged? We don't have control. Like, no, you can implement any kind of control, right? It's really up to you. If you uh, want to have a very, very stringent and, and, you know, complicated process that you have a lot of sign-offs and whatever, then you can do that. Or you can go like, you know, in a certain environment like dev or whatever, you just automatically merge everything, right? It's purely bots that might check against certain uh, requirements. And again, OPA being a great tool there that can help you to, to you know, formalize these these uh, requirements. And and for production, yes, you need, you know, a, a human being that then actually looks over that and merges that pull request. And so you mentioned two, you actually dropped two different examples there, like Argo CD and Flux mm -hmm. as examples of ways that you can employ or deploy yep. GitOps yep. in a way that makes it easier for you. Yep. So that's for anybody listening who's looking for a way to get into that. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my first podcast, the podcast number one, yep. um, Andy Martin was on it talking <laughs> about Flux a little bit. Mr. Martin, very good. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's he gets around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that, that's I, I was really kind of quite looking forward to this as a follow up mm -hmm. to that. So you think there's a there is a close tie in between uh, supply chain management and what's available in terms of things like going back to that um, in Toto, for example. Just seeing as that's a, that's a good example. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the one of the less than financial motivations, but more the resource motivation around learning how that works, gaining enough expertise to make it part of my development environment and ecosystem might be one of the things, like there isn't something out there that makes it a graphical click point and drag easy deployment around that yet, or is there a, then I, and I missed something. Because I think times, certainly with organizations who are strapped for resources, um, anything that doesn't provide you point and click ease of use tends to fall by the, to fall to the sidelines. Right. I see um, a couple of, of uh, you know, really, really beneficial things on, on the conceptual level. Like, you know, um, no matter if you're using Git as the, you know, original Git, just, you know, Git commit, Git push or whatever, um, or GitHub or, you know, GitLab or whatever that, you know, offers a nice UI, UX where you can see, you know, how did that PR come together and who is involved and you have, you know, clicky pointy interface there. Um, <laughs> but it's really this kind of like you have a system of records, you have Git, which um, if you, I mean, it's unless you're, you're a malicious actor there and, and can, you know, somehow manipulate the, the, the Git uh, history, you know, 
you, you pretty much trust what's in there, right? You know exactly who requested a change and you know exactly who approved and who commented and, and whatever, right? There is no like, oh, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't touch that deployment. So actually, you did, right? You sent that git commit here and, and you know, and, and I know who, who approved that, right? It's, it's very, very clear, no matter if you're using, you know, the, the UI or, or, you know, the command line, it's very, very clear who requested the change and who approved that. And, and even if you, if you have, you know, for a certain stage, like, like that, for example, a, a bot approval, then still, you know, someone, uh, installed that bot and then someone put these, these, uh, you know, whatever the, the policies are the bot is, is operating on uh, in, in place. So it's, it's at any point in time clear who caused a certain state in and then a Kubernetes cluster, for example. Uh, so that's that's something that on a conceptual level is an, an, a very big benefit for for any kind of organization. Really. Um, and and the other part is really this: what I've seen very often is this this question of like, okay, Kubernetes does that now mean that our developers are directly exposed to Kubernetes? Do they kind of like do I need to give them all kubectl access that they can go kubectl apply and should it be kubectl apply or kubectl create and is it on the namespace level or whatever? It's like, look, with GitOps, their interface is what they already know, and that is how to interact with Git, right? And you can pretty much like you know say standardize on whatever helm or whatever you want to standardize on and say like look if you want to change something these are the two or three places where you can you know hear the knobs that you can use um and their interface is git right or github or whatever they're using that's it right they're not interfacing with a Kubernetes cluster there is one exception and and that is uh, troubleshooting obviously you need to have a story around that there are certain good practices and how to do troubleshooting you need to you know have have some way uh, either you say you know anti entity you know you trust on the logs and the metrics and the tracing etc but to some extent you probably also need to give um, your developers uh, an access like your cut exec or, or whatever into into your cluster but other than that other than troubleshooting uh, use case that's pretty much all you need right there your developers are not required to or are not exposed to directly to communities as a platform as a runtime so there is so there is a, there's actually a pretty clear motivation there that would should resonate with security professionals around non repudiation mm -hmm. of um, if you're if they're looking into traditional security models mm -hmm. that should that should make sense to them and, and and GitOps is a great way of providing a declarative model around the way you're building and creating your your world exactly. I would say exactly. And there are things out there to make that happen. And you've already mentioned quite a few different examples. Um, and Michael, I don't mean to cut this short. Is there anything I, I, that you didn't get to mention to do with uh, supply chain management and GitOps? And I'm sure there's a thousand things, but is there any one key element that I haven't really asked you or you haven't been able to touch on right. before we get to the top of the hour? Right. It's, it's really like just to, to drive that message home, uh, don't get you know, distracted or, or, you know, sidetracked or whatever by a sheer amount of, of, of tooling that is available. And, you know, every week someone open sources something and all of that is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I love open source and, you know, love to use it, love to contribute to it, but think of the, the underlying motivation and principles, right? What does GitOps, what does, what is the underlying driver for supply chain management, et cetera. And then, Pick your tools. You might find yourself writing something new, and maybe eventually you you will open source it, uh, or you use some existing ones, or look at what your you know favorite cloud provider has in in, in offer. Uh, but think of the underlying 
motivation, the underlying principles, and not so much, you know, the the, the noise. I would say in, in, a, in a bad way um, of of the the overwhelming, you know, torrent of of tools that are available and, and open source projects and whatnot. Excellent, excellent. So all the different things that you've mentioned, I will add links to our show notes so that if you're curious and you want to learn more about those or about you, Michael, or about anything that's in this industry, we'll, we'll, tr we'll throw a whole bunch of stuff awesome. in there so that people who are listening can click through and, and then, and it's actually relatively easy to reach out to you and, and if, you, if people have more questions. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so um, much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. And that is another episode of Beer Sec Ops. Beer Sec Ops is powered by Aqua Security and assisted immensely by Shirley Fried and edited by Taylor Sattler. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time.